Okay, so it is March the 20th, is that right? And we're going to continue with our study. I've been, uh, <clears throat> I guess I've read this chapter 5 in Hedge's book probably six or seven times, and it's somewhat of a transitional chapter, and that's probably a good thing this morning. It's transitional in that we we began leaving this, this thing about kind of beating sin to death, the nature of sin, the power of sin in our life, all the things that can go wrong, uh, how the tentacles of sin affect everyone and so on and so forth. We'll touch on that a little bit to bring us forward, but this is a transitional chapter in the book, uh, and that's a good thing because we began looking at who we are in Christ toward the end of this lesson we will. Who we are, what God has provided for us, naturally we start with the gospel, what the gospel itself does in empowering us, not in just bringing us to salvation, but how resting upon that gospel, understanding it, that increasing and and building upon our relationship with Christ, with Christ, empowers us. And we'll get there in greater degree. If I come back again at some point, by the time we get over to chapter 6, we'll be looking at a principle, and I found it unusual. Joel actually quoted this to me, and it's in our next lesson because it talks about the expulsive power of a new affection. You'll see that phrase again. The expulsive power of a new affection. So we're moving that way. And what that denotes is that there's it's coming to Christ. You know, we've talked about putting off taking off things. We talked about Paul's imagery there, that it's the same thing as like taking off clothes, filthy clothes, putting on new clothes. Well, that's the Christian life. You don't just put off something. Don't do that. That's sinful. That's part of it, dealing with our sin. But what goes in its place? What about the way that we thought before we came to Christ? Well, what is the model? What does the Bible tell us about the mind and what we're supposed to be thinking about? It gives us a clear blueprint from that. So we begin looking at the fact that we've moved from one position to another. You know, God is taking sin out of us step by step. You know, we can call it sanctification, progressive sanctification, whatever you want to call it. But that's the process. So we began to move that way in our study. And it'll be about half and half this morning. Well, you've heard, you've heard about John Owen, haven't you? Anybody not heard of John Owen? We've got one gentleman here that's read him a lot. We were talking before class. He's kind of the focal point in our study today because Hedges says what he does, he goes to uh, uh, Owen's book, The Indwelling Sin in the Believer, a work that he did back in the, the 17th century, one of the old dead guys, as we say. But he takes principles from that because Owens would give us nine principles about identifying sin in the life of the believer and then moving on. What Hedges does, he takes those and he narrows those down into not nine but three. And those kind of serve as the basic outline or basic guideline for chapter five here. And it's pretty interesting. takes uh, of the process, how he came to this. You just have to read the book to get all that. We won't have time to go into it. We'll just cover some of the principles. But later on in the 19th century, there was a guy named John Duncan. He was a Scottish preacher, pastor, uh, seminary professor. And it said that when he would uh, be teaching them, he was a, a professor of Hebrew, when he would be teaching and making assignments to his students, that he would always assign the indwelling sin in the believer by John Owen. 
he would make this assignment to them and he would tell them this on the way out the door. He would say, now, y'all be prepared for the knife. Be prepared for the knife. And they would look at him, I suppose, what's he talking about? But by the time they got through reading the book and doing whatever exercises he required from the book, you know, taking them that close to God's Word, that the word, the word of God being used once again as a literally a scalpel, a surgical tool in the life of the believer to continue to change and transform the individual. And that's what this is about. That's what we're about. And we want that to happen. Now, we need to start looking at that if we haven't already. That is an extremely good thing. Aren't you glad that when you... When you come to Christ, He doesn't just kind of clean us up and leave us there. You know, I grew up in a church that did not know the Word of God. You know, an old, my daddy called it a hard shell Baptist church. And right, he was, okay? Uh, But it was always, you know, kind of preach them into hell and leave them there. And by the grace of God, they might get out. And if they get out, then it's just pie in the sky by and by. One day, you know, you'll be in heaven and everything different and the Bible doesn't teach that, or at least it doesn't stop there. Okay, It talks about new life in Christ. It talks about sanctification. It requires sanctification, and it gives us the tools, the roadmap to get there so that we can be a light in the darkness, so that we can be salt in this world, so that people can literally see life in us. And for the believer, there's no other motivation. And we struggle in this life as believers to do as John tells us and to pull ourselves away from this world, do we not? It has its daily claim on us. And if we divorce ourselves in any way, sometimes just for a moment from the truths of God's Word, as we said in a lesson or two before, we open that door, we crack that door. And the very fact that there is a war going on. One of our brothers said uh, this past week, what did he call it? A radical war? I believe it's what it was. Uh, and that's what it is. That's what it's about. And that's where we are. So this is where we go this morning. Well, what's our focal point to begin? What's our focal verse? And it has to be Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, which I'm sure you know, because it God literally as a surgical scalpel and we read for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart this is what the word of God does in the heart of the believer and he says that no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account I know when about this verse of Scripture, perhaps we don't always think about the way this particular passage ends because it's a reminder, is it not, that we will give an account. Do you consider that a negative motivation in your Christian life? The fact that one day you're going to give an account? Is that something that you perceive as being negative? Does that put a lot of pressure on you? I could say anybody, you can answer that. Does it? It does. Do you see it as a good thing? Do you see it as God instilling, as it were, through His Word, His discipline into us, reminding us? You know, 19, Psalmist says, By your word I am warned. That is not a bad thing. 
That is not a bad thing. It's just like a child who grows up and he realizes at some point, thank God, she's usually in their 20s, but by the time they get there, they say, you know, mom and dad were right. And I remember what they did to me and how it occurred at that point where punishment or took that truck away or wouldn't let them go to this or that. But they did it because they loved me. They set a boundary. They set a standard. So when God reminds us through His Word that we will give an account, as Paul reminds us and so many others, that's a good thing. I don't consider that a bad thing. And yet at the same time, it's not something that causes us to live in literal fear, but it does cause us to live with a healthy respect for the Lord God and about how we spend our time, the things that we allow into our affections, the things that we focus on in this life that usually wind up, you know, what we best when it's all said and done, what was important. Let me see your checkbook. What did you spend your money on? Let me see your calendar. What did you spend your time on? Okay? And then we end of the thought life. It just goes on and on and on. So the word is a sword in this passage. It is a scalpel. It is a surgeon's knife. And just with a, a brief emphasis here, once again upon the word of God. He said spiritually is so that we might gain discernment. And to gain discernment at the deepest level of our soul. He says here we are word of God to perform the surgery showing us the areas of sin requiring mortification. So let me ask you, are you in love this morning with the word of God? Are you in love with it? Is it your passion? Do you crave it as the direction for your life? Are you even aware as the word tells us that Christ himself is the living word of God? And that's to say, to know the Word of God. To be indwelt by His Word is to be close to Christ. He's the living Word of God. You want to get to Him? You want to know how He thinks in a situation? As the Bible says, do you want to have the mind of Christ? You'll never get there apart from knowing His Word. Never. You want to know His Word, you could know Him. So Owens, with that in mind... He's going to talk about diagnosing our sin accurately. And this is where he takes, uh, or Hedges takes his nine points and breaks down into three, and this would be the first one. And he tells us to diagnose our sin accurately. Diagnosis always precedes a cure, does it not? Before we can figure out what to do about something in our heart and life, we need, we need to have it diagnosed. What is it? How did it get there? You may recall, I shared with you from uh, Edwards' works not long ago, Jonathan Edwards, he talked about when he had found an area in his life that required attention or he hadn't acted right or really he hadn't thought right about something. What was the phrase he used? He said, I trace it back. I go look at the event, whether it was a neglect or something that I did, just know that it was wrong and God's Word says don't do that and I agree with that. That's, That's good. He says, I want to go further than that. I want to know why it happened. I want to know what hole I was trying to fill in my life outside of the Word of God that resulted in what? Sin. 
at the smallest level, at the largest level, it doesn't matter. The result was sin, and sin hinders our fellowship. It is our sins, as he says, that separate us from God, and that's true for the believer and for the unbeliever. So he wants us to look specifically for the symptoms, the symptoms of unmortified sin in our life. What are they? Now, if you don't want to go there, if you don't want to deal with that, you're going to continue in your sin. That's what's going to happen. If we don't want to diagnose it, if we don't want to find the cure in God's Word, it will linger and it will emerge later on. We can go to the Word of God and allow the Word of God through the Spirit of God to make that change in our life. That's what will happen. So what he does, he has a few questions here that he asks. And these are taken right from his 17th century work. Isn't it amazing? And we see the transcendency of God's Word. Here it is. It hasn't changed. It's not going to change as reflected. Ask yourself, is this sin that you're dealing with, that you've identified, is it habitual? In other words, is it, is it something that you're dealing with over and over? Now, I'm not talking about... Uh, habitual in the context of an unbeliever, that which characterizes us, that, that which says volumes about what we are about, what we have embraced. That's a different kind of habitual sin. We're talking about something that continues to creep, to show its ugly head in the life of a believer. Do you have something like that? You don't have to raise your hand. Unless God's leading you to do that. You have something like that? Dare I say it? Do you have more than one? Let them linger. Deal with them. Be free of that. God says that He will forgive, but if we don't diagnose it, there's not going to be a cure. If we continue to embrace it, if we continue to buy into the lie and see how close, as I said before, how close we can get to something without sinning, we lose the fact that we're sinning right then. At that very moment. Secondly, he says, do I tend to apply cheap grace to my sin? Assuring myself of forgiveness, even when I have not repented. And by that I mean turn from it. Or at least purpose to do so. Applying cheap grace. Isn't that a a horrible thing in the life of the believer, isn't it? To presume upon the grace of God. To do as so many would say, well, you know, he died for my sins, past, present, and future. My sins are paid for. So is this really such a big deal? Listen, I can't think of anything that strikes against our relationship with Jesus Christ apart from that. To presume upon his precious grace and what it cost. I'll just go ahead and do it. Even just for a fleeting moment in the mind to entertain that. Why? The power, the struggle with sin is so great. Am I the only one that's experienced that in this room? As Paul said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. Don't lose the concept, the truth, that there is a holy war going on. That's the first first battle lost in the life of a believer. When somehow we get to thinking that we've arrived or that because we are recipients of God's grace, that we get a pass. We don't get a pass. We don't. Thirdly, he says, do I find myself frequently yielding to temptation? 
And of course, this is here just to, to pull us closer to the truth that we've got issues in our life that need to be dealt with. Because you see, it's, it's, it's unbelievers who live like there is no God. It's unbelievers who live as if tomorrow doesn't matter. It's unbelievers who obviously live for themselves at the expense of everyone else. And the Bible's clear. We're not to be distinguishable in such a And when we find ourselves sliding off into behaviors that tend to reflect that we're like the world then we are the redeemed. We've got a real problem. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, He will immediately convict us, call us back to Himself. If that process in your life seems a little bit slow, do you know why that is? Somebody tell me why that is. I've been talking for a long time here. Tell me why that is. Why is that a slow process in our lives sometimes? Is that kind of obvious? Our focus has drifted, has it not? Our focus is drifted. We become worldly. We become tolerant. We're no longer, at least in a particular area, a, a peculiar people, as it would say. Totally and wholly distinguishable from the world. Nobody would look at us and take note of us and say they've been with Jesus. And folks, that's the standard. And it's a high standard. And I dare say, and you know it's true, in our families, in our workplace, it's, it's more difficult than it's ever been, is it not? I had a person come in my office one time and look at my Bible, and they kept looking at it on the table, and, and they said something where they said, can you have that in here? Can you? They were offended that my Bible was on my desk in my office. And I could say they don't know the law, but, you know, that's a different one. John, I gave them your cell number. Okay? <laughs> you won't get a call, brother. You won't get a call. So ask yourself, do I find myself frequently yielding? And sometimes this frequency that serves to get our attention, just because it continues to occur in our life time and time again. And it all ought to give you a little bit of a chill because it says he's after you. Okay? He's after you. You know, your, your witness may be a little too strong. You may be a little too soul to God. There may be a little too much potential there for goodness through the of God. Fourthly, he says, is my motivation in fighting this sin, my fear of the likelihood of consequences if I were to be found out. In other words, is that your only motivation? Oh my God, what if somebody finds out what I did? Oh Lord, if this happens, if this comes to fruition, if, if this sin is, if, oh goodness, if I get what I deserve and this sin is carried through and we see the ultimate fruit of my sinful acts or neglects, what then? What of my reputation? And while that's a legitimate concern, should that be our primary concern? What should be our primary concern? We've brought shame disgrace on the name of our Lord and Savior. Listen, we can't just take the attitude that because we're in Christ and because we go to this wonderful church, we go to a church that teaches and preaches the Word of God, that challenges us each and every Sunday. And so, I mean, we can't take that for granted. 
We can't think that we're somehow uh, above the battle because we're not. If anything, we're greater targets because there's a huge, huge battle going on for the souls of men and women. You and I play into that. Ultimately, it'll all have to do And then lastly, he says, has God already begun to chasten me for this sin? That we could be so steeped in what we're doing and God moves in our life, we're so temporarily blinded or influenced by the world that we don't really realize we're fighting against the fact that, well, you know, that might have happened because I had my mind on something else. Or that might have happened in my life because I wasn't where I know I was supposed to be at that day and time, that I was not obedient to God. And it begs the question, do you have that kind of relationship with God through the Word? Does it speak to you in that fashion? Does that represent the foundation in your life, the Word of God? 